This past week, I finally got around to downloading the new operating system for my iPhone. iPhone is good for me because I love technology, but I have no idea how to make technology. And so Apple kind of, for those of you who know much more about technology than I do, this is about as much as I know, Apple really kind of locks down their process. And so when you get an update from Apple, you might find something there that wasn't there before. And this is what I saw on my home screen. You see between the Google Maps and the Facebook icon, that little health with the heart thing? That wasn't there before, and I didn't order it. It just showed up. I don't have any problem with that. I wasn't sure why it was there, and I don't have any problem with that, though. But, you know, Apple's gotten to a little bit of trouble for this recently, like for those of us who have iTunes accounts, and all of a sudden... The brand new U2 album just showed up there without any of us asking. Didn't bother me. I don't particularly like the album. I like U2. I don't like the album. But actually, you know, Bono, the lead singer of U2, you know, goes about doing great saintly deeds all throughout the world. He actually apologized. He apologized because a lot of people gave Bono and U2 uh, a lot of guff over this. And actually, this isn't my favorite story about people giving guff to Bono. It's, it's this. Um, in the 2000s, uh, mid-2000s, he had this thing that he did in concert. He'd clap his hands. Maybe you remember this if you saw them in the 2000s. Like every two seconds, he'd ask the whole crowd to be quiet, silent, trying to raise consciousness. Every two seconds, when I clap my hands, that means another child has died from malnutrition and poverty in our world. And the story goes, so someone yelled out, well, stop freaking clapping then. <laughs> Sometimes our best intentions are just straight lines for other people's punchlines. So back to this little icon here. It says health, and it has a picture of a heart. And when I open it up, I saw what it does. It's kind of a measuring tool for fitness and exercise and eating and sleep and it can be helpful and I know certain of these tools are beneficial to people who are looking to monitor their inputs if you will looking to measure about the strides that they are making to live more physically healthy lives and at the same time in the midst of all this measurement this image of the heart called to mind for me Brene Brown and this wonderful book daring greatly that forms the core of this current message series and what she calls wholeheartedness. She has 10 ways of uh, talking about it and encouraging it. Some of those are kindness towards ourselves and other people, deeper compassion, deeper resilience, showing up, letting ourselves be seen, seeing other people, all kinds of ways of living wholehearted lives. And this is the interesting thing. All of those wholehearted things couldn't go onto this App because they are not measurable. They're about qualities, not quantities. Here is the single biggest surprise that I have learned from this book, Daring Greatly. Much of it was not a surprise to me. I resonated with almost all of it in its entirety. But there's one thing that surprised me that Brene Brown, this PhD in social work, this social scientist, has formed an entire book that is a heartfelt plea. For the reality and necessity of grace. 
of the reality and necessity of grace. I'm going to read you her words. She talks about all the research, thousands of interviews she's done over the years. She said, if you roughly divide people I've interviewed into two, those who feel a deep sense of love and belonging and those who struggle for it, only one variable separates the groups. Those who feel lovable, who love and who experience belonging simply because they are worthy of love and belonging. She continues. The important thing to know about worthiness is that it doesn't have prerequisites. Most of us, on the other hand, have a long list of worthiness prerequisites, qualifiers that we've inherited, learned and unknowingly picked up along the way. Most of these prerequisites fall into the categories of accomplishments, acquisitions, and external acceptance. It's the if-when problem, she says. If I do this, then I will be worthy. When I'm able to accomplish this, then I will be lovable and I will know that I will belong. And so the great surprise, what I love most about this book is this, is that Brene Brown, Ph.D., social worker, Social scientist is a disciple of grace. That there is, hopefully for all of us, the experience of something bigger than just our lives that holds us. That makes us know that the accomplishments and the striving, there's not necessarily anything wrong with them. But placing our worth contingent upon achieving these things is going down a rabbit hole that it's very difficult to escape from. How do I define grace? Pretty simply, although it's not a concept, but I use these words from the great Protestant and radical theologian Paul Tillich in his wonderful sermon. You are accepted. You are accepted. And he says the challenge for so many of us, and I think Brene Brown absolutely nails this, is do we accept the reality of our acceptance? Can we accept Acceptance. Do we accept that we are loved and that we belong? And it brings to mind our universalism, especially our universalist tradition, and that there's two kinds of universalism. One, which has been more in vogue, I would say, over the last 50, 100 years or so, and it's a wonderful kind of universalism. It talks about the fact that all traditions and all people have gifts abundantly to be able to share, and all our gifts matter. Wonderful reading of universalism but in fact there's a deeper universalism than that an older universalism than that a timeless universalism and it goes something like this there is a love in this universe so special that you don't need to be special to be loved there is a love in this universe so special that you don't need to be special at all to be loved. This is love beyond belief or doctrine or tradition or conditions. This love is a deeply countercultural thing. Brene Brown nails this part because all the ways in which we think we can earn our ways into deep acceptance and love. There is nothing with this grace that we can earn. It simply is. So often, especially in Western religious traditions, grace is figured and presented to us as you are a horrendous sinner. <laughs> you are decrepit, depraved, sometimes the traditional language goes. And so you need this sin to save yourself from the fires of hell. But there's a whole other tradition, and it's a part of so many sources of spiritual wisdom. It's the grace of this, of original blessing. 
of the basic goodness of our hearts and the invitation to touch the goodness of our hearts, not so much through learning something new, but by unlearning and remembering how basically decent we are. Here's the thing, as I understand and even more have experienced grace. That I am not loved because of or in spite of my individual identity. But loved prior to it. I believe there is nothing we can do to prove to ourselves, to measure to ourselves the reality of this grace. But a lifetime, perhaps even lifetimes, can be spent making good on this grace. Cultivating our inherent worth and dignity. But not measuring it and not manufacturing it. This is what our great teacher, William Murray Channing, said in the 1820s as living out a life by revealing, not constructing, by revealing our likeness to God. More modern teacher, Hindu teacher, Sri Nizargadatta says this, wisdom is knowing I am nothing. Love is knowing I am everything. And between these two, my life moves. I love that first part. Wisdom is knowing I am nothing. I mean, I'm just one. You're just one of billions of people on this earth right now. <laughs> Think of the billions and billions and billions. I don't know, is a trillion? How many people have ever lived? We're just one. What's so special about us? That's maybe what wisdom tells us. But love tells us the other thing. We are as connected and as real and as valuable that any other being who has ever lived. Wisdom is knowing I am nothing. Love is knowing I am everything. And by the way, you haven't heard me mention anything yet about the nature of the giver of this grace. I follow Walt Whitman, who says, argue not concerning God. Spirit, God, the universe itself, Buddha nature, whatever you choose I don't spend any time thinking any more, stressing myself out about the nature of the giver. The fact that the gift of loving acceptance exists is more than enough for me. There is that line, that wonderful line from the world's most famous hymn. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. "'Twas grace that taught my heart. Ooh, I like that. Don't go. Let me dance. <laughs> See, grace is so cool because, you know, life is always beyond our expectations, our conditions, our limits. Stuff is always arising, right? But this is the problem with the human heart and my heart. If your heart is anything like my heart, the heart loves to set conditions, loves to play it small, loves the limiting ways, the if then, if I accomplish this, then someday I will be worthy. One day when I get this, then I will be lovable. If then is not daring greatly. If then is not honest with grace. To allow our hearts to be taught this is a lifetime and perhaps even lifetimes of opportunity to make good on who in fact we already are. I want to tell you a story. It's a favorite recent story I read from uh, from this woman. 
Nadia Bowles Weber. Some of you know her. She is the founding pastor of a startup community, like Wellsprings, a startup community, House of All Sinners and Saints, a Lutheran pastor in Denver. Now, she is about six foot one. She's in recovery. She has tattoos up and down her arms. If you've been around here before, I want to tell you this honestly. She swears about 10 times as much as I swear. And I love some good cursing. She is real. She is raw. She was once a stand-up comedian. She's a church planner. And she started this community, House of, of All Sinners and Saints, to be for people who felt rejected, cast out, that felt the traditional religious communities were profoundly ungraceful places. She's also a hell of a preacher. And so, you know, they kind of grew for a little while, 30, 40 people, and they were getting their outcasts, their exiles. And it was a community of grace and love and belonging. And then Nadia Bowles-Weber started to get noticed. People started to write about her. And then at one point, they had to move from the gritty side of town to kind of a gentrifying, kind of yuppie-ish side of town. And she got really annoyed. She said to her, she says her, her right-hand woman, one of our partners in ministry, she said, this neighbor is too nice. We're attracting the wrong element. The wrong element were people who looked like mom or dad, yuppies and dockers. What was happening to her church for the outcasts and the exiles? Maybe they would all leave as all the normal people came in. And she decided there would be a meeting. There would be a meeting about the growth and demographic, demographic changes in House of All Saints and Sinners. And what she hoped would happen was this. This is how she planned. She was being kind of sneaky. She hoped that all the drag queens and all the aging hipsters and all the people in recovery who were barely hanging on would tell their stories and all the normal people would be completely scared and would leave. <laughs> she says about herself, it's hard to be a good pastor when you're not a good Christian. Extend that to Unitarian Universalism. It's still exactly the same principle. Her spiritual practice is prayer study. And she read from the book of Ezekiel these words, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And this really sat on her and ate at her heart, which was really limited and limiting and saying no to grace in all kinds of ways. And a friend who's also a church planner like her and also serves in the same kind of community that was built for outcasts and exiles and people who didn't feel welcome said to Nadia, you know, you're so great at welcoming the young transgender person who may not have a home. But what about mom and dad? Will you welcome them too? And Nadia walked away from that conversation pissed, but knowing it was true. And so by the time that community meeting came about, her heart had changed and she felt the heart of flesh starting to become real within her. And she just opened up to people to tell their stories. And they heard from the newcomers, the people in doctors, the moms and the dads, the normal folks, the straight folks, the folks who appeared, right? The folks who appeared to have it all together. And they told their stories about feeling unwelcome and feeling love in this community. And then to end this meeting... Asher, a young transgender person, spoke about the grace that they received in this church. And this person said, Asher said, about their grace, I was welcomed in. So I want to go and record in front of all of you here and say, I'm happy that people who look like my mom and dad are here. Because I can have a relationship with these people that I cannot have with my own mother and father. Nadia Bowles-Weber said, heart transplant healed. 
Grace can teach the heart. Encourage us to move beyond our conditional saying about who is lovable and who is valuable and who is worthy. Can teach us beyond our limits if we really believe that sometimes even if there's a gap between how we want to love and how we actually are loving, we can stand, as Bernays Brown says, mindfully in that gap, love that tension and grow the heart. This is the question grace leaves before all of us. Whatever you consider to be the nature of the giver. What would happen to you, what would happen to us, if we started from the assumption of grace? How might we love differently? To start from grace sometimes means starting very small. You know, talk about the hour I first believed in amazing grace. Sometimes it's like the first millisecond I first believed in grace. And there wasn't much there. One of the reasons one of my spiritual practices, the metta practice from the Buddhist tradition, loving kindness. And one of the things loving kindness asks us to do is not love the whole world at once, but start with something small. Start with something and a being that has benefited you absolutely. And just sit with that and breathe into that and let the natural qualities of love resonate in your heart. So many of you were kind this past week when our little 11-year-old, which is like 90 years old in human terms, Bunny Nilla, we had to put her down. It was time to say goodbye. She has been how I have started my metta practice, my loving kindness practice this week. She's right there and the love is just so natural. And then to grow from that love and eventually apply it to the rest of our lives. This is starting with grace that can teach the heart how to love. From loving one thing to expanding the heart and bringing them all in. This changes who we are. It changes sometimes our limited nature and notions of success. Some of you might have seen this, this picture this past week from the wonderful blog Humans of New York, if you know that. This is a man, a dad, talking about his son. You might see his son with his cane, his son who has special needs. And the way Humans of New York works is the person snaps a picture in New York Street and then allows the person to tell their story. And this dad says, until I had a special needs child, my life was all about the next thing, all about the next accomplishment, all about moving forward. All about those if-thens, to use Brene Brown terms. He said, success for me has changed since my son has entered my life. The most important success for me now is this. All those years, all those times of telling him we loved him and supported him. And because he has difficulty communicating, can't speak to us very much until that one day when we said, we love you. And he said, I love you in return. One of the commenters at Humans of New York said this, and it just kind of cracked me open. I posted it on Facebook. The meaning of success changes when love enters the room. Doesn't it? The meaning of success changes when love enters the room. This is a life making good on grace. Not earned but like a beautiful garden cultivated and shared. Like gardens of abundance and joy, just like one of our core beliefs is. We live aware of this grace. We know the more that we already know that we are worthy and that we are lovable, the more we know how much we have to give. 
so many of us spend our lives with this question, if, when, then, some other day. Reminds me of uh, Frank Sinatra's beautiful version of Send in the Clowns. There ought to be clowns. Where are the clowns? Send in the clowns. Waiting on the clowns. And then one version he does ends with this. They're already here. The love is already here. Today, may you know, even beyond your own belief, how beloved you are. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Bless you. God, all these wonderful, graceful accidents keep popping up today. This is life. Life is bigger than we could imagine. Life is greater than we could imagine. Life is more painful than we could imagine. Life is more loving than we could imagine. Today, may we do simply this. Open up the heart. Let grace teach the heart. May we accept our acceptance and live from this place. And go out blessed. Amen.